0: currently in first Peter and so if you are uh, listening or watching via the internet we do welcome you this morning with our congregation turn with me to first Peter chapter one we want you to follow along and we're going to be in in numerous scriptures this morning this will be more topical than expositional so if you'd like to jump around, jump through the Bible, we we will do that this morning. This, we're going to look at uh, the holy angels um, and their ministry to primarily to the Trinity and then to you and I. Uh, we want you to follow along. There are Pew Bibles, page 1014 uh, is where 1 Peter is located. Uh, the Pew Bibles are... Uh, English Standard. I preach from the New King James. You may have a different version, but uh, uh, follow along with us if you would. This is the 10th message in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we've been looking at uh, hope in the gospel uh, specifically, verses 10 through 12, diligence to the Word of God. And this morning we're taking a sidebar because... Uh, uh, in all the years here, I've not spent the time, taken the time, rather, to teach about angels. So we're going to do two things. We're going to begin looking at holy angels this morning. Uh, uh, the goal is to try and finish them, finish that message, this message today. And then when we come to 2 Peter, and there's a reference in, in the notes this morning to 2 Peter, we're going to look at uh, Satan and demons uh, so that you have an understanding. And the reason that we're doing this is because in over 40 years of ministry, perhaps the most uh, question, uh, the most questions I've received about things in Scripture, about doctrinal, doctrinal teaching in Scripture, has been about angels. And there is a reason for that. I reminded you last Sunday, Satan was Lucifer, he was the chief archangel, and he fell. Satan desires worship like God. So how would he be worshipped? All satanic worship is angel worship. So at the outset this morning, understand that. And we're going to look at several passages of Scripture as we go through this. I want to read verses 10 through 12. We're going to focus on the end of verse 12 this morning. And we find these words. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched searched diligently or carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand of the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Let's go to his throne of grace in prayer. Father, Elevate and exalt your Son today. And may we not be sidetracked with spiritual creatures that are neither omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. They are neither filled with loving kindness. They are holy because of a decree that you made before the foundations of the world was made. Save sinners, teach us what we do not know, and make us like Christ. In Jesus' name we make this prayer. Amen. So, last Sunday we closed out with four things that Peter has mentioned in these verses. Uh, and just for review, uh, in uh, verse 10, he talks about the spirit of Christ that was in them and how the spirit of Christ foretold of his coming death and how that prepared for our salvation. In verses 11 and 12, he begins to talk about the prophets and the preachers, how they minister uh, in the Old Testament times, the prophets New Testament times, the apostles today, or since the New Testament times preachers, the real time event of preaching the gospel, and how, uh, number three, the Holy Spirit, in the latter part of verse, uh, or rather in verse 12, how the Holy Spirit, who is sent from heaven, ministers through prophets, apostles, and preachers, and the Word of God to bring us to faith. First slide. Now, the fourth thing we didn't look at in detail last Sunday morning because I knew we were going to be looking at uh, angels this morning. But the fourth indication here, as we see in uh, the latter part of verse 12, is that salvation is so very great and lathered in grace that angels desire to look into to examine similarly to what Peter has written in verses ten and eleven, uh, and that word desire means to set the heart upon, to long for. In fact, it can be used in indications that uh, individuals can lust for something that is good. And so, the words found in Luke twenty-two is found in Luke fifteen is also found in Galatians five. The, Same type of phraseology that's used here in verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, angels, and we're talking this morning about the holy angels. Angels want to, because they are outsiders, they want to know about our salvation because they are outsiders to the drama of sin. They don't understand redemption because they've never sinned. And for a person that has never sinned, of which there are none... They wouldn't understand redemption either. They long to watch, and we're going to talk about watching this morning. One of the things that angels do for believers is they watch us. They watch the great work of God's salvation unfold in history and in the lives of the saints. That's why Peter uses the phraseology he does in this verse. Peter's point is this, and this is the point for you and I. If angels get excited about salvation, not understanding redemption... Where does that leave you and I? How much more should we be enthralled about our salvation in the person of Jesus Christ? If angels love to look at the work of God in saving sinners like us, how much more should you and I, who are the very beneficiaries of that salvation, love to look into and be thankful for and say, As Peter began in 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 3, the long doxology that we've currently been in for a few weeks now, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we are emotional creatures. We talked about that a number of times over the past few weeks. We will find this morning that angels also are emotional creatures. Are you emotional? Now, keep in mind... That our salvation is based on the fact of our sin and the fact of our need for substitute in the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But there should be emotion that evolves from our understanding of our being born again by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next slide, if you would. So. The one thing, if you don't rem- remember anything I say this morning, remember this first point. We are not to worship angels. All God's people said. Understand that completely. Jesus Christ is not an angel. he is god the son there are cults that will deceive you into accepting the fact that jesus was a created being that is not you cannot be christian and believe that it is not found in the new testament couple of references And turn with me to begin with to Romans chapter 1. We spent years looking at the book of Romans, but go with me to Romans chapter 1. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And we spent a great deal of time talking about that. One of the things that the devil does is suppress the truth. And one of the things that sinners do is suppress the truth. One of the things that sometimes believers do is is suppress the truth. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. From the creation. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, there's a God consciousness within even the most vile sinner. They did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. But became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed. That's important. You ought to circle it. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image. Made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals, And creeping things. Now, the underlying uh, understanding of this particular verse is that angels being created were for many years and still are in some cases worshiped. Now, angels themselves will tell you not to worship them. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. a real angel, okay? Not a figment of our imagination, not because we ate too much pizza or drank too much Coke or whatever, a real biblical angel. Revelation 22 and verse, uh, well, look at verse eight. Now I, John, saw and heard these things And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And then he said to me, see that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets and those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And Colossians chapter 2. Uh, can't make it any clearer than worship God. <clears throat> Paul writing to the church of Colossae in verse 18, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. So it's as old as scripture. intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. And then, of course, not holding too fast to the head, which is Christ, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grow with the increase that is from God. So three passages, and there are others as well. But just to, to begin with this morning, let's, let's broach the subject and remind you, and you'll hear me say this at the close of the service this morning, too. We are not to worship angels. Now, a little bit of background. You and I are created in a material world. We don't know anything other than a material world. To us, everything must be tangible, it must be real, it must be felt. It must be touched. God created us with five senses in order that we can respond to and move ourselves through a material world. Things or beings that are spirit and angels are spirit. Things or beings that are invisible were also created by the Trinity. Angels and demons... Fallen angels, and I'll briefly mention them this morning, but we'll spend more time when we come to 2 Peter Peter 2, I believe. They inhabit this invisible and spiritual world. We are not designed to comprehend this world. We know it exists because the Word of God gives us insight. And I say minor insight because the references to the spiritual understanding of the invisible world are few. Now, there are are a number of them, but they're few when compared to the good old material world. Now, the debate over angels, and again, this has gone on for centuries, it's produced much controversy, and I suspect this morning as we go through some of these things that what the Bible says will cause you to question what you have always thought about angels, because that's what the Bible is here for. It's to correct us when we think incorrectly about the doctrine of angels. The teaching of angels. And this, and through history, this world, the spiritual world, has been contorted by Jewish, and by that I mean unsaved Jewish individual. Gnostic, which the book of Colossians was, uh, Paul was writing uh, the book of Colossians to a uh, church that was founded in a Gnostic area. That means that God is spirit and there's no, in Within the world, there's nothing material that is good. Pagan thoughts. The Romans, who were pagan, believed in angels. Not uh, biblical angels, but they believed in angels. Uh, And so it has led over centuries to a myriad of unbiblical notions. To complicate that, there are 273 references in Scripture that refer to angels. That's a lot of references. And so what I'm giving you this morning is more or less a cursory view. It's not comprehensive. So if you're thinking about this and say, well, the preacher didn't say this about angels, that's because it's not meant to be comprehensive. It's meant to be cursory. It's meant to give you an understanding of why God created them and what their ministry is to the Trinity and to you and I. Next slide, if you would. So let's define angels. Always good to have a definition. Angels then are created spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence. They don't have physical bodies. They're spirit beings. Now here you're going to say, well, preacher, the Bible says the angel appeared to Mary. Bear with me. In Scripture, when they appear to you and I, or to Mary, or to any of the number of appearances in Scripture, they take human form. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, and we're not preaching about the angel of the Lord this morning, we think that most theologians, most Orthodox theologians believe that to be a Christophany in Old Testament... Appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when he appeared, he took the form, a human form. They also take, and we'll see as we look at certain other passages of Scripture, they can take forms or have forms that are extraordinarily different from you and I. And unlike humans. So, when angels appear in the Bible, they take the form, they take a human form. And we'll talk a little bit about Isaiah. We'll talk about seraphim, cherubim, living creatures, and so forth. Those typically don't appear on earth. They are seen in visions in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. They don't appear to to men in physical form on the earth. So they are spiritual beings. They are created. In Nehemiah, Ezra would write, You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, and all their hosts. The earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them. So, created... We're not exactly sure when or what time frame, but they were created. And they were created primarily for worship of the Trinity. In Colossians 1, we read Colossians 2 just a few moments ago, but there Paul says this. For in him, in Christ, all things were created. So all things include angelic beings. Things in heaven, all things there, created, except for the Trinity. All things on earth, created. And then Paul says this, visible, material, and invisible, spiritual. Things we were not created to understand, and things we must adhere to the word of God in order to understand. Otherwise, we become speculative, and when we speculate, we become superstitious. Visible and invisible. Whether, now these are four types of angels, and we'll talk about those in just a moment. Thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities. They take a place in the hierarchy of the worship of the Trinity and in ministry to humankind. They exercise moral judgment, just like you and I. And 2 Peter chapter 2, and this is where we'll look at, when we come to 2 Peter, we'll look at uh, uh, Satan and his minions. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. He goes on to say, how will we escape the judgment of God? He did not spare the angels, and these became what we refer to as demons. The most active angels during the ministry of Christ were demons. Just read the Gospels. Now the holy angels were active too, but not as active as the demons. So one of the ways that we know that Jesus is God the Son is that the demons fear him. Next slide. There are a few attributes of these, and my prayer I mentioned to you this morning, they do not have the attributes of God. And to our knowledge, they were not created in God's image. Although they are highly intelligent, they had a specific purpose and assignment, and still do. Hebrews Chapter 1. In fact, turn with me there because Hebrews has a great deal to say about uh, angels. Hebrews chapter 1. <clears throat> now, the supreme revelation that the, the author of the book of uh, Hebrews is teaching us about, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. But to which of the angels has he ever said? Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Are they not, and this is one of the keys to how they minister to believers, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Now, I want to read into chapter 2, I've got it later on, but I want to read... In fact, it's at the bottom of this particular slide, but I want to read into chapter 2 because, remember, no chapter and verse divisions in the original manuscripts. So when this was read to the church, when the book of Hebrews was read to the churches, it would have been read continually. And so he says, to minister for those who will inherit salvation, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away that's a big focus in the book of hebrews drifting away falling away for if the word spoken through the angels there's another assignment of the angels the word spoken through the angels and when angels speak they don't speak some angelic language they speak human languages to us so they convey to us the truth of the word of god because they are messengers of the trinity Spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Okay. Now just to give you something to think about. I know the college and career class has been studying the book of Hebrews. We have a clue here We don't know who wrote the book, okay? We don't. But we have a clue as to who did not write the book. First began to be spoken to the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Sounds awful lot like Luke, doesn't it? Because that's essentially what Luke told Theophilus. So we know from this, or we can ascertain, we can determined from this that Paul didn't write the book because Paul was an apostle so it was was conveyed to someone else to write so that's an aside don't leave here this morning and say the preacher has gone heretical because he's saying Paul didn't write I don't think he wrote the book Paul may have written it we don't know but the fact remains it is in the canon of scripture so the spirit of God granted the understanding of this book to the overall scope of the New Testament. So just for your, you can noodle that for a moment. Verse 4, God also bearing witness both signs and wonders with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. So in just a few verses, he's already mentioned them three or four times. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? This is from Psalm 8. This is a quote from Psalm 8. Well, the son of man that you take care of him. You made him a little lower than the angels. That's me and you. That's our creative. That's where we are today. You made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. That's where you and I stop. And this, of course, references to Christ Jesus. For in that he put all in subjection unto him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see, yet see all things put unto him, but we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. That's the incarnation. For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death, for every man or for every one. So what do we glean from this? We glean they're invisible. We glean they have a specific ministry to the children of God. Psalm 34 says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. I've never seen an angel encamp around me and you probably haven't either. But the scripture says that. Why? Because they're invisible. They're in another dominion. They are not only invisible, they are messengers of the Trinity. We just read, they are ministering spirits and they aid believers in ways that we do not understand. That's between the Trinity and the messengers that God has created. Now, what happens... Because we are sinful creatures. Now remember the holy angels have never sinned. There's a Latin term for that. I'm not going to bore you with it. But they've never sinned. So they don't understand sin. They don't understand redemption. Because of this. The fact that they minister to us in ways that we do not understand. We are naturally led in our sin to speculate about them. Sin leads us to speculate about a lot of things. Sin leads us to speculate about you and I. Sin leads us to speculate about the motives of people, about the motives of God, about the motives of angels. And when we speculate, we sin. Unless we say, I'm speculating about this. And when we do speculate, it often leads to superstition. Therefore, we have to rely on Scripture for reliable and truthful information about the angelic realm and the creatures that are immaterial. As messengers, they minister to us. We just read, we're created lower than the angels. Uh, We were created to have... uh, a relationship and fellowship with the Trinity. Uh, Adam and Eve lost that, and you and I lost it. And that's because of sin. So we were not uh, lower in the created order, and we know that because we will be exalted above the angels. So we've looked at these two passages. Next slide. So let's talk about the classes of angels. And it's interesting. I studied this in school many, many years ago, but I've forgotten a great deal of this. It's what happens when you get old. And it's what happens when you don't go back and look at Scripture through all of this stuff. So there are lists of the classes of angels. There are other names for angels in Scripture other than just angels. And, of course, I think we know about seraphim. We know about cherubim. But uh, did you know that they're referred to as the sons of God? In Job chapter 1 and in Job chapter 2, there was a day when the sons of God came before the throne of God and with them came Satan. Now, that's the B'nai Elohim. They are not the son of God. They're not the begotten. They're not the monogenies. But they are referred to as sons because of the ministry that they have they are also referred to as holy ones they are referred to as mighty ones in psalm 89 verses 5 through 7 we'll look at some of these but we're not going to look at all of these i do want you to turn to daniel chapter 4 because this is a, an amazing passage of scripture All right, let's see. All right, this is, interestingly enough, this is a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And look at verse 13. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. And he cried, cried aloud and said thus. And there's a listing there. Look at verse 17. This decision is by the decree of the watchers. This is apparently a pagan name for angels. And then in verse 23 and inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying uh, uh, to the, this was the interpretation of the dream that he had. So they're referred to as watchers. We've just read Colossians 1 that they also can be referred to as thrones and dominions and principalities and authorities and we know this from Ephesians 6, as well as Colossians chapter 1. We're familiar with cherubim. Now, there are only two winged um, angels, courses of angels. So if an angel appears to you and they have wings, they're not going to be cherubim, they're not going to be seraphim. You can chalk it up to Something that you ate. The cherubim are winged. They were sent by God after Adam and Eve sinned and expelled them from the Garden of Eden to prohibit Adam and Eve for entering into the Garden of Eden again. Flaming sword is mentioned there, Genesis chapter three. The cherubim also were placed over the Ark of the Covenant and their wings extended and they touched. So we know that they have wings. Do they use these wings to fly? Probably not. But they may. We don't know. And if we don't know, when the Bible doesn't tell us, we're to be quiet. There are seraphim. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. This is the only time in Scripture that seraphim are seen, or they are mentioned. And we know probably less about the seraphim than we do any of the other courses of angels. Isaiah 6, of course, is Isaiah's great vision after King Uzziah died. Um, Look at verse well, in, in, in the year the king Uzziah died, verse one, saw I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up, and the train of his uh, of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one having six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And this was in the realm of heaven. This is not earth. And one cried to another and said, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of the glory of his glory." And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And so I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. Now this is a vision. This is not an appearance of the seraphim on earth. This is a vision of Isaiah into heaven, the throne of God. Keep that in mind. Vision. Having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. And when the seraphim spoke to Isaiah, he spoke to him in a language that Isaiah understood. No angelic language. Didn't need it. Doesn't it? Cherubim, seraphim, they're the living creatures. We've been studying the book of Ezekiel in our Sunday school class. Ezekiel chapter 1, 5 through 14 goes into some detail about the living creatures. And part of the living creatures that we see there in Ezekiel is also seen in Revelation chapter 4, so turn with me there. These are angelic beings. They refer to as the living creatures, but they're still angelic beings. Now, they represent because what we see here is very, very strange. And again, we look at this and we say, oh, oh, oh. Let's draw this up, and we'll start drawing. See, this is what they look like. Well, John said, I saw this, and he wrote it down. But there's no image. So, again, keep that in mind. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one set on him, verse 2, he sat there was like a jasper to a sardius stone, and there was a rainbow that went round about the throne, and this, of course, is the appearance of the throne of God. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, they had crowns of gold, and from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, explain that to me. There are things that we do not understand. We can read this. We can can speculate about this. We can even uh, interpret some of this. But as far as what John saw, and John didn't understand what he was seeing either. He was just obedient to what the spirit of God gave him. Verse 6, before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne, around the throne, were four living creatures, full of eyes, in front and in back. Now, to you and I today, that's full of eyes. We would call that a mutant. But they're not. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. So these are representatives of the Trinity's entire creation. And from what we know about Scripture, what we know about in the book of Ezekiel, what we know here from the book of Revelation, there are only four of them. Created by God to assemble around his throne in a manner, the four living creatures, verse 8, each having six wings. Now, it's like the seraphim, but they're not seraphim. We're full of eyes all around within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, now they say the same thing as the seraphim, but they're not the seraphim. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worships him who lives forever and ever, cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. So somehow... The living creatures are involved in a continual worship of the throne of God. And who sits on the throne of God? Jesus. Because he is God. No division, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But in his manifestation, in his incarnation, in his ascension back into heaven, He's seated on the right hand of the throne of God. We know from chapter 5, which we won't make make it this morning, but in chapter 5, it talks about him being given the throne. So the living creatures. Then there are archangels, and these are the ones that we probably know a little more about, and there are two of them. There's Michael. He's mentioned in Jude 9. He's also mentioned in Daniel 10. He's mentioned in Revelation 12. Since we end Revelation 12, Revelation, turn over to Revelation 12. <clears throat> Verse 7, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, a demon, a Satan that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world is cast to the earth and his angels cast out with him. Now this is a a vision John had of the coming tribulation period. But Michael mentioned here in the book of Revelation. The one that we're probably more familiar with than Michael is is Gabriel. Uh, Gabriel's found in Daniel chapter eight, found in the Old Testament, found in chapter nine of the book of Daniel. He's found, obviously, in the book of Luke. We read and we preach and we study about that when it comes to Christmas. Uh, he was, he's also found in Matthew chapter 1. And angels are mentioned, of course, in, in Luke 2 and also in Matthew chapter 2. Now, we know from the book of Isaiah and the book of Ezekiel and from Luke, from Jesus himself, that Lucifer was the chief archangel that's what we see here until his fall. It's a lot of information, is it not? Aren't you glad we worship one God? This is the extent. When we talk about the creation of God, we look and we live in a beautiful world. In fact, when God created everything, and that included the angels, when he created it, he looked at it and said it was all what? Very good. That means it was as good as God could make it. It's not going to get any better. It's as good as God could make it. Or God would make it. So from this, we can gather there are about 9 to 12 courses of angels. They each have specific purposes. And they have an authoritative ranking. We think that the archangels would be the ones that would essentially govern the rest of the angels. We don't know that, but we can, again, speculate. So these are the classes that are given. A couple more. I'm going to give you one more thing because I'm not going to cover, we've gone a a long time this morning, I'm not going to cover guardian angels this morning. We will cover them next Sunday morning. And I think you'll be surprised at what you learn. Next slide. They are innumerable. You can't number the angels. So let me give you a few of these facts, and then we'll close this out this morning. Hebrews 12, Revelation 5, Job 38. And there in Job 38, the Lord asked Job, Where were you when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? That is that phrase again. He's speaking of angels. I'm not talking about you and me. He's talking about the angels as God was creating. A couple of weeks ago, Robbie and I, Mike and Sheila, were, uh, it, uh, we visited uh, the, the Ark uh, encounter in uh, Kentucky and the Creation Museum. And one of the things that we had opportunity to uh, witness in the Creation Museum was a planetarium. Unlike certain members of our church, we didn't fall asleep in the planetarium. And some of you may know who I'm referring to as initials of Matt Fisher. Uh, <clears throat> we stayed awake. And we had, we, there were two, two uh, videos. The first one, was, to me, was far more important than the second one. So let's give you a point of reference. There are more angels than human beings to begin with. The Bible, not only here in the book of Job, but in the, book, in the Psalms as well, refers to angels as stars. So let's think for a moment. We know or we we speculate again. A lot of this is it's, it's not science is forever changing. That's why when people say follow the science that means you could go to the left, you could go to the right, you could go up, you could go down. It's forever changing except for physical science. There are about 2 billion to 2 trillion galaxies. The Milky Way is our galaxy. There are 100 billion stars in the Milky Way alone. So if you just did some arithmetic and you did averaging, we don't know exactly how many, but if you ran all those numbers, the thought is that in, if there were 2 trillion galaxies, there would be three hundred sextillion stars. So that's 3 times 10 to the 23. 10 with 23 zeros behind it. Or, well, that's more than I can think of. Of course it's more than you can think about. I can't think of it either. We can't think in those terms. But we can think about the oceans. There are more stars in the heavens than there are Numbers of cups of water in all of the oceans and all of the fresh water on Earth. We took our kids, we took our grandkids to the to uh, to the beach when they were little, and you would remember they'd run down to the to the ocean and they'd get some, they'd get their little buckets and they would scoop out some water and they'd come back and they we'd build sand sandcastles and say. So, we've all done this. And you take that bucket of water and you pour it into the sand. Did it change the volume of the ocean? In fact, there are more than 10 times the number of cups of water in all the waters on earth, in the stars in the heavens. How big is your God? And we're just beginning to understand the extent of of astronomy and just how that relates to the creation that God has made. Since creation, it's estimated that 105 billion people have walked on this earth, have lived on this earth. And if that is, and again, that's speculation, too. It's based on some averages and so forth. But if, if, if it's close, and it probably is close, 105 billion, then 8 to 10 percent of the people that have ever lived are living today. About 8 billion, 7.8 to 8 billion or 8.2 billion people on the earth today. we tend to look at our life in a perspective that is inward. And when we look inwardly, we forget about the majesty of what God has done and what God can do. Now let's close this out this morning by saying this. The angels... Peter said, desire to look into salvation. Of all the greatness of the creation of God, the one thing they desire to learn is how sinners can be saved. Do you think of that? Do I think of that? What a majestic, good, kind, merciful, gracious God. And the Bible says this, these were thought into existence. That's the God we serve. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking my sin is too big for God to forgive, I can assure you of this. You don't know the God of the Bible. You do not know Christ Jesus, but you can. If he created this, and he did, his redemption at Calvary can save you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And although this has been a divergence from what we've been looking at, it's necessary for us to gather and to glean the extent and the wonder of what you've created and how of such magnitude your redemption is even far, far greater than the sextillion or the innumerable company of angels. And so have your sweet will, your divine way in the remainder of the service this morning. In Jesus' name I make this prayer. Amen. So the invitation is simple this morning. If you're here today and you are not certain that Jesus is your Savior or you're concerned uh, about the extent and magnitude of your sin, those are lies of the devil, especially the extent of your sin. Jesus and Jesus alone can save you. We're going to sing an invitation hymn. We will give you an opportunity to to respond to the grace of who God is is in jesus christ and if you'll make your way outside of the pew we can take you to a private prayer room we can lead you to a saving knowledge of the lord jesus christ as a child of god you may be here you may know the lord jesus as savior perhaps you need to follow him in believers baptism we uh, encourage you to do that this morning and we invite you to unite with us here at the flat creek family and certainly, as a child of God, when we start to think about all of these things, remember now that our thoughts and our uh, understanding of angels must be driven by the Word of God. So, what number, brother Mike? Two sixty-seven. Two sixty-seven. If the Lord spoken, won't you come?